Hello again, everyone. This is Dan Duva. It's SLGND, the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast, presented by the D-Hotel. Vegas owns a 1-0 series lead in its second-round matchup with Vancouver. A 5-0 win to start the series Sunday with 11 players recording points. Robin Leonard with his first postseason shutout. Robin is 6-1, the team is 8-1, and we break down the Knights' path to success through nine playoff games, the emergent players, and combinations. We look at the Vancouver point of view, the NHL's other second-round series, and much more. It's the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs on SLGND, the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast, presented by the D-Hotel. And now, here's Dave! Dan Duva, you're the best. Thank you for your kindnesses and generosities. The Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave. I am Some Guy Named Dave. Hashtag SLGND. All right, fellas, here we are. So, uh, second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs for the Golden Knights is... Uh, one game down against the Vancouver Canucks, and lots to get to here on the pod. But uh, first off, a dominating performance for the Golden Knights in Game 1 on Sunday. 5 nothing win in that game. Uh, it, it felt like it wasn't even that close. Uh, the Golden Knights really had their way, controlled most of the game, seemed to have the puck most of the night. Shane, we kind of watched it. We watched the game together and had some Instagram Live duties, so we... Um, we were able to kind of uh, compare notes and do our thing in between periods and post game. What uh, jumped off the screen at you the most as you watched the Golden Knights win game one? Complete 60. They, they did not let off at all. Uh, I think the tendency, especially after such a solid 40, is, you know, you, you always think in that third period there's going to be that pushback uh, from the opposition because it, it's tough to play. I really like that they had the drive to continue to play the complete 60 minute game. Uh, and it was everybody. It was, it was 12 forward, 6D, goaltender locked in, uh, a, a dominating performance. I think as good as the Golden Knights were, I think that wasn't what Vancouver has played. And, and you, you, credit both, you credit the Golden Knights. They took away a little bit of uh, that desire for Vancouver to even have a sniff to get in the game. There wasn't many momentum shifts. I think in the second period, there was a small push off a power play from Vancouver for a few minutes. Um, but outside of that, that was a complete game. Maybe the if we're going to get critical, the faceoffs weren't great for Vegas. Uh, if, if we're going to pick apart one area, but outside of that, uh, just commanding. You know, their their top players led the way. Their role players did their job. Nate Schmidt looked like Nate Schmidt. Uh, real good performance by it, it was everybody. It, it's it's tough to single out one guy because I thought everybody kind of had a big piece of that game, and that's what you want to do. And as we've seen, Gold Knights continue uh, to progress the right direction. They're getting better. They're building off that last series. And I think that's important as they go into game number two. The physical nature of it too, Dan, you know, it's something Pete DeBoer talked about after the game. That's part of their game plan to try and get a piece of guys as much as they can. Uh, 54 hits for the Golden Knights, but led by Reeves and Carrier, they combined for 20 hits up front. Uh, and you think over the course of a long series, the, the residual effect of that, especially when they play hard and physical against some of the Canucks' best players. And don't forget that Vancouver had 45 hits, too. You had the excitement of Ryan Reeves and Antoine Roussel, and that, you know, that, that storyline seemed to pick up more and more as the game wore on and the outcome was less in doubt. It was almost sort of a sideshow. But I think the point is, is worth drawing out, Dave, because... 
the Golden Knights can do so much in so many different ways. And unlike the last two games against Chicago, when the Knights fell behind against the Blackhawks, they scored first in this one. And when you can get a Golden Knights team to score first and then kind of put their foot down, they put their foot down not only with adding to the lead and more goals as they scored three in the second period, in the second period, which has been their weakest. They have given up more goals in the second period than the first and third combined, and it's not close. Uh, and they 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 won the period three nothing. So uh, the 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 offense combined with the physicality that you could get all four lines involved, and and when we talk about a long playoff run. When you have a 5 nothing lead, it allows the, the depth guys to play more minutes. I think Ryan Reeves had about 15 minutes in the game yesterday. Uh, and, and so you think about when you're using, when you're playing a closer game, you have to use your top-line guys more often. So some of the hit numbers, you know, if Reeves is on the ice a lot more than normal, he's going to have more hits than normal. So, so there's some of that, that that plays games with it too. But I think when the Knights can control the game uh, from the outset, they can allow a lot of those things, their bread and butter, to play out over the rest of the game. Lawman, you sat next to Dan calling the game on radio Sunday night. What impressed you the most? Well, Dan interviewed Nick Cousins for the pregame, and Cousins said, we don't want to dip our toe into this. We want to get going right away. And sometimes the team that has just finished a series has momentum, and they bring it from that other series into the other one and the team that has been has been sitting idle for a while takes them a while to get going so i think number one the fact that the nhl bumped the schedule up and vegas got to play on sunday instead of tuesday was to their advantage because it was only a five-day layoff and you know really they had a couple days off after their game and then they practiced for two days and led right into to sunday's match um they vegas looked hungry and vancouver looked spent and i, I think that you know, for me, the storyline going into game two will be, uh, will Vegas, can, can they can they get a little hungrier, amp that up a bit? And Vancouver, will they be able to have, uh, to have caught their breath a little bit and get back in and, and be, be better? Because they're going to have to raise their level. If, if, it's, if both teams come to the rink the same ways uh, on Tuesday, the same ways they did Sunday, the result is not going to be very much different. Shane, could you speak to the fact that Travis Green was asked about this last night after the game uh, Sunday that, you know, his response to the question was basically it's, it's just one game, right? You know, it's, it's, let's not get carried away. Every time we've asked our team to respond and challenge them this season, they have. If you're on the other side of it and you're in that Canucks locker room, you know you were badly outplayed in game one. What's the approach? Do you flush it and say it's a bad game? Or do you look at some areas and say, we've got to be better in these three or four spots if we're going to have success? It's a combo. I don't think you can flush a game like that in playoffs. And and Travis Green kind of touched on, he said they're going to look at the video. There's things they need to learn. Uh, you have to you have to try and find that you know, those certain areas where you need to be better. The effort is number one. Uh, Travis Green saying that's the worst his team's played since being in the bubble and, and playoffs. You know they're good against Minnesota. They're great against St. Louis, and they didn't have it. And, and part of that is they weren't good enough. And part of it was the Golden Knights. I thought just took it away and didn't give them a chance. Uh, you know, so they're going to learn from. They're going to move on. I thought Travis Green did a really good job. Who. 
Yeah, they showed a lot of clips of him really working his bench. You could tell he's, you know, he has a good feel for his guys when to be stern and when to, you know, try and build them up. You know, a young player like Quinn Hughes, who's really star- struggled against Vegas. Vegas did a great job with him. He was down the bench tapping him. When he took marks from out, he over went and had a conversation with him. So I expect Vancouver to be a lot better in game two. And uh, that said, though, I think the Golden Knights, you look at it, their their focus has to maintain being on their game their execution of their game plan not so much about what Vancouver is going to do they're going to they're going to realize they're going to get a better effort um, but just worry about playing that same way uh, I think uh, if they can come out and play like that with everybody involved everybody engaged they'll be fine they chased Markstrom last night Dan uh, who had been so good uh, for the Canucks in the playoffs to this point five goals on 34 shots um, part of you know, part of me, Shane said, part of me thinks it was just a, all right, look, enough already. This game's out of reach. Take a breather, regroup, be ready for game two. But you know, they they were able to beat a goaltender that's been really good for the Canucks all season long, and especially so far in these playoffs. The interesting part about that, Dave, is that Jacob Markstrom has not been good against the Golden Knights in the three years Vegas has been in the league. His goals against average before the game yesterday. Before the game yesterday, 408. And uh, as we know, there there have not been any regulation losses for Vegas against Vancouver in the first few years. And Vancouver does not have someone with any kind of uh, NHL experience that you would turn to. I mean, Thatcher Demko had not played since March 10th, had played zero minutes here in the return to play. And while he did make a nice save on Alex Tuck, uh, his former BC teammate there in the third period, I can't imagine that Travis Green is thinking at all about Thatcher Demko playing any significant minutes here in this series. So for whatever reason, the Knights have managed to get to Jacob Markstrom. Also consider that Markstrom has, as I said, played every minute of every game for Vancouver, whereas Golden Knights, with the luxury of their goaltending tandem, uh, they, they have played fewer games. Uh, And they also can let a guy rest. Markstrom has not had that. And while Markstrom is not uh, not old, he's he is 30. He's not 24. So uh, you you think about that. Now, on on the other side of things, you you do have to wonder about Vancouver's success in the previous round uh, and and the goaltending for the St. Louis Blues. I mean, Jordan Bennington was 0-5 uh, in the playoffs. And, you know, Jake Allen was, uh, you know, I don't think that he's leading the Blues to the promised land, even though he got the two wins against the Canucks. So I wonder about Vancouver and, you know, maybe they, you know, where where were they in terms of facing, um, you know, a, a Blues team that was injury depleted and with without the strongest goaltending? Uh, meanwhile, Vegas has a lot of the, the opposite things going for them. So there's a lot there with the goaltending, but you would think that Markstrom will will bounce back because he so often has in his in his career. How hard they made the game, Gary, against the skilled players of Vancouver. Besser, no shots. Pedersen, no shots. Hughes, no shots. Miller, one shot. Horvat, two shots. That fivesome combined was minus 11 in game one. You know, we talk a lot about your best players at this time of year have to, have to lead, your, you know, lead you to where you want to go. The Golden Knights, I would imagine, made a concerted effort make life difficult on these guys, and they sure did in the first game of the series anyways. Well, the number one step there is that group has a combined 29 points in the playoffs. 17 of those points have come on the power play. 
they just kept them off the power play. They gave them one power play all night, and uh, and Vegas did a real tidy job of 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 taking care of it. That to me is is critical in this series going forward. And um, I know it was fun, you know, what the Ryan Reeves and Antoine Russell uh, sort of uh, stuff last night, but uh, I would be really careful about how how much you engage Russell. Like if you know if he wants to fight Reeves, fine. Reeves can fight him, and they can both go sit for five. Um, but they cannot let him become a distraction. They can't let him suck them into anything. And I also think that, you know, there's an art to being physical but not going over that line, and Vegas did a great job of that last night. That, to me, is that's just a huge storyline here. Uh, if Quinn Hughes has to play five-on-five five against uh, – the Stone Line all series, or the Marcia Soul Line, or even the 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 Wah Tuck Steve uh, Wah Tuck Cousins Line, he's gonna have a long series. He is not made uh, at this stage of his career. Don't get me wrong; I think he's gonna be a tremendous player. He already is an offensive juggernaut. He's not right now, and Shane can can shed way more light on this than me. He's not prepared to play beneath his old goal line, his own goal line all night. No, he doesn't want to defend. No. He's a guy who wants the puck puck possession player, and that's where the Golden Knights, that's the best way to have discipline is to, to have the majority of the, the puck possession time, which they did. And, you know, Vancouver, I thought they closed quickly, efficiently, defensively. They didn't give Vancouver. Vancouver didn't have the puck very much. There was times that it looked like a power play for Vegas in five-on-five play. They just thought they did a really good job in movement in the offensive end. They're great below the goal line. couple of goals off plays from there. They scored off the rush. Just every element of the Golden Knights game was on task. And for a young player like Quinn Hughes, that, that is tough. As you mentioned, Gary, the, the matchups for him, not easy for a young player. And he is a dynamic young player. He's going to be a young, he's going to be a dynamic defenseman in this league for many years to come. But when he doesn't have the puck and when he is forced to depend, defend, it's going to be a long night. Interesting to note, guys, as well, and I know different year, different circumstances, but to the point that it's only one game. We all remember round two, 2018, the Golden Knights blew out San Jose 7 to nothing in game one. The Sharks came back and won game two. Now, is that Sharks team better than the Canucks of 2020? Sure. I, I think so anyways. But More again, experienced anyways all, in terms yeah. of of guys have that have been through playoff wars. Right. This yep. group is, uh, they do have some older guys, but their core, their leaders, first time around for them. This is their first dance. Yeah, so uh, one down for the Golden Knights anyways, and, and a lot more to go, hopefully, against Vancouver. But Vegas now improving to 8-1 and one in the playoffs, winning all three in the round robin. They knocked off the Hawks in five, and they take the opener of the series against the Canucks. The Sheriff Lawless, Some Guy Named Dave podcast brought to you by the D Hotel, the official downtown hotel of the Vegas Golden Knights. All right, guys, let's let's kind of address the elephant here in the room. Um, Robin Leonard improves to a perfect 3-0 against the Canucks in his career. Dan, I'm sure you had this note on the on the radios. Uh, the radios. He's never allowed a goal against Vancouver. Three shutouts with three different teams against the Canucks. That continues in Game One, but it also happened roughly 24 hours, 24 hours ish after this uh, disturbing tweet, to say the least, from Alan Walsh, Mark Andre Fleury's agent. Uh, not helpful. Not necessary. Not what we're looking for. I would imagine at this time of the year. 
Shane, if you're, you've been in those rooms for a lot of years, um, as a group, how do you think they, they handle this or did they address it or not address it? Because it sure, if it was a distraction, it certainly did not appear to be in their play in game one. Well, the play certainly uh, shows where they're at. They, they, they're past it. But, you know, and when you're in a room and, and these things come about, it gets addressed. It gets handled internally. It's always a bigger issue on the outside because it's a story. That's exactly what the media wants. Internally, it's never as big of a deal. You handle it. You're used to your competitors with players. You compete. You sometimes have guys that fight in practice that love one another or like brothers. You move on. You move on quickly. You have to. And I think they were able to do that. And and sometimes you can galvanize a team a little bit more and say, okay, let's show everybody we're fine in here. We're fine. Let yeah. them let the keep the outside noise there. Um, that said, uh, I I wasn't happy with it. Um, you know, from previous experience as a guy who has had agents and was close with an agent to, and they do, you, 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 they become part of your life. They're, they're confidant that you talk about when you have problems, when you're not playing, when things are going well, things are going bad. My disappointment is that they work for you and their job is to make sure certain things don't cross the line. And that is what bothers me. I think Robin Leonard probably addressed it the proper way. What he said after the game, I would agree with. Uh, an agent's job is to protect their client. And, you know, maybe a message sent, but in my view, uh, that did not happen in this situation, and it's unfortunate. But all that said, uh, the best response happened, and that was the team going out with the performance they had and Robin Leonard putting up a shutout. Lawman, where do you fall on this? I mean, you've you've been around this business a lot. You know a lot of agents. You know Alan Walsh. When you saw this and you saw kind of the fallout over the last few days, what what's your kind of your your general impression of everything that's happened? Well, first of all, and I like I talked to a ton of people on Saturday and Sunday. Never seen anything like it. Like the, the, never seen any. The, the, this is you know kind of a personal attack on Pete DeBoer. Not kind of it is. And, um, you know, it puts the, puts the client in, in, a, in a difficult situation. So, yeah, listen, I, I do think that it's, it turns out to be much ado about nothing because uh, the perfect script for DeBoer and Leonard, Leonard gets, DeBoer gets a win and now his team is 8-1 and one in the playoffs. It's kind of hard to question what he's doing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Leonard's 9-1 and one as a and, Golden Knight. Yeah, and yeah. Leonard, you know, just posted a shutout. So, and the, the players certainly didn't phase them. Uh, you know, that's the best game they've played. I did say, you know, I said to somebody on Saturday, maybe it serves as a rallying point. Maybe it pulls them together somehow. And the response was, how could that happen? Well, you saw Leonard and Fleury get closer after Fleury addressed the media and he said there, the, the team posted one of Flurry's quotes saying, uh, Robin and I have a good friendship. There's no problem between us. There are no hard feelings. And then Leonard takes, he's the panda. He finds a, 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 a gif of a panda hugging a man's leg. And he puts it up. So, he, you know, he's saying, I'm hugging flower. Um, so if, if there was an issue between them, 
there, uh, clearly there wasn't, but but sometimes when you clear the air, when things get brought out, maybe they had a maybe they maybe they had a chat, and Flowers said to him, "I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the situation, um, or whatever it was." You well, know, that's that understandable. Happens. That you know, what I mean, and then for the the, the players, clearly they have li- they have lived and died with Mark Andre Fleury since they got here. He's an original Golden Knight. They love this guy, but Leonard was in some way Leonard kind of you know someone threw some mud was thrown onto Leonard's pant leg inadvertently through this and to me it's like the player said hey Lenny we got your back too man we're gonna play for you because that was their best performance that's the best we've seen them play since they returned to play so again and and then also the other factor is Pete DeBoer's not warm and fuzzy, but maybe this was a point of for the players, you know what, Pete, we got your back too. Because boy, they went out and played for him. They, like everything they did, except for in the faceoff dot, was, as Shane said, full 60. So oddly enough, maybe this turns <laughs> out to be that point in their season. They always have to have some adversity, eh, Shane? Well, maybe, oh, yeah. this, maybe this is that point in the playoffs. They'll look back and go, hey, that tweet from Alan Walsh, that really got us going. Yeah, it's not <laughs> only adversity. You're right. It's, and, and so, now, can, so now we're going to thank him. Thank you for your efforts. <laughs> yes. Look, we might have to put his, they might have to put his name on the cup. No. It's, it, a team's ability to handle adversity the right way strengthens the group. And that's what, so far, and, and it's still early. Yeah. Different and Dan, I want to get your thoughts on this uh, for sure. But different circumstance. But you look at the impact, Shane, and, and you know, in our old spots, we were obviously have ties to Boston. Tuukka Rask leaves the team, right? Opts out of the bubble. Hasn't affected the Bruins much, right? It, it always, you know, they're they're fine. Yarrow Halak's come in; he's been more than fine. Took the opener of the Tampa series, knocked off Carolina. It's always interesting what galvanizes teams. And, and Dan, like back to the, you know, this whole issue that's kind of swirled around the last few days. Certainly, Marc-Andre Fleury is not happy with the situation. How could he be? He's the face of the franchise for three years. But before that, has had a lot of success in his career. And we know his resume. That being said, this might be something that this issue, quote unquote, is probably something that's more for down the road after the season, what's going to become of it than right now in the, in the here and now? As much as it was kind of, there was a lot of, it was a hot topic here for a few days, going by the way the team responded, at least internally, it seems like it's not much of an issue for them. It's for, uh, you know, dopes like us outside, outside the bubble people. Speaking of stepping back, Dave, can you imagine having this conversation 15 years ago? Tweets and gifs and bubbles <laughs> and pandas. Oh, my. I mean, this is just wild. And, you know, Alan Walsh has been with Marc-Andre Fleury since he was 15 years old. We're talking 20 years. And at the same time, I think about the, the here and now, as you point out, the, the difficulties and the obvious strain that must exist between Fleury and, and the head coach and Pete DeBoer. Uh, Pete has said the right things and Mark has said the right things here. But I also think back to... Uh, another um, Alan Walsh client who had requested a trade in Jonathan Drouin 
And somehow, Alan Walsh and Steve Eiserman, the Lightning GM at the time, smoothed things over to the point that the trade request was rescinded. And there was a whole lot of back and forth, and he was sent to the minors, and on and on and on. Eventually, they did trade Drouin to Montreal, and they got Sergachev back. But the point is that while in the moment it might seem like a catastrophe and the, the end of the world... Ultimately, it's about, you know, the contract for your client, and it's on a team side, it's about winning hockey games. Now, Marc-Andre Fleury has a couple more years on his contract. How it plays out down the road will be interesting, and for the same reason general managers and players don't normally talk about contract extensions during the playoffs, that's why the timing of this um, really is especially startling. So, you know, you could talk about that stuff whenever this season ultimately does end, but the, the reality is Marc-Andre Fleury is under contract with the Golden Knights for two more years, and Robin Leonard is unrestricted free agent, but Robin Leonard has, for the moment, taken the Golden Knights' goaltending job. But I will also point out, if you look over to the other Western Conference series, they only have one healthy starting goaltender per side. Grubauer is out for Colorado. Pavel Francouz goes in. Ben Bishop is out for the Stars. And so... Uh, so you're going to the back up there. Uh, like, you just don't know how a postseason will unfold. And I would be surprised if the Knights need to lean on Marc-Andre Fleury at some point between now and the end of their season. I just want to, I want to touch and just we're talking, the more I think about this, Gary mentioned it, you mentioned it, Dave. The, the best thing that can happen to a team is you're as a competitive athlete is somebody questioning you. They're questioning this team is distracted. That is a challenge. What do you want as someone who is ultra competitive? A challenge. And especially when other people question you from the outside. 2011, lost two games to Vancouver. They pl started planning a parade in Vancouver. I remember how that, that was a straight shot at us as the Boston Bruins. And boy, did we take it to heart. And that was like, what? It, it's two games. And you try to add fuel to the fire any way you can. And this might be something along those lines. And you can question the coaching decisions of Pete DeBoer. You can question who he starts in net. The team is 23-6-2 combined since he took over in the middle of January. It seems like he knows what he's doing. The numbers bear that out. So where this goes down the road, to be continued. But for the here and now, in late August 2020, they put themselves in a real good spot. Guys, let's touch on a couple of other things uh, before we look at uh, just a couple of other series around the, the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, Shane, it, we, we were intrigued when they got going in training camp, the line of, of Nick Waugh, Nick Cousins, Alex Tuck. You know, that's, that's got a lot, of, a lot of potential to it. And when they've been together in the playoffs, they have been really, really good. And we saw that again in game one. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, more specifically, Alex Tuck, who, who continues now to, to play his best hockey. It might be the best he's played in a Golden Knights uniform. It is. The last nine periods have been the best hockey I've seen him play. Uh, Nick Waugh just continues to, to go on that upward curve uh, of his game of learning and, and just a big, powerful, smart defensively responsible. And Nick Cousins, uh, I liked what he brought when they traded for him, but I didn't know that extra offensive talent he has. Smart player, shifty with the puck, hangs on to it, makes smart offensive decisions. 
And the three of them are a mismatch for the, for the opponent because their top 4D are focused on the Carlson-Stastny lines. Uh, and then all of a sudden you got this line that can provide just as much offense. And not only that, who was on the ice? Uh, and, they, and they did get sometimes the top D-men. Uh, I believe it was Hughes and Tanov when Alex Stock blew right between. The, he started from behind them, to be honest, as Nick yep. Cousins threw that off the wall. It's a lot to handle. That line, it just, you know, they're, they're going to be the line that I think, can, and we said they're an X factor because they're not always going to have the toughest assignments. It may switch as they get better, and you know, but uh, the opposing coaches certainly have to find a way to, to match up against that line because they, they have proven they're a lot to handle. The Golden Knights' ability to lawman to win in different ways. You know, we've seen that. Like, they're the highest-scoring team in the playoffs. They score goals in bunches. They put a, put in another five in game one. They can shut it down defensively if they need to. They can turn it up physically if they need to. Um, it, it, that's If you're talking about, and, and honestly, Shane, it reminds me of your, your Bruins in 2011, that there's a lot of different ways that team could get the job done. The Golden Knights in 2020... They have a lot of different ways and a lot of different people that can beat you on a nightly basis. Well, they're you know they're, they're number one left in the playoffs in in a whole bunch of shot metrics. Um, they're number one in goals for per game at three point eight nine now. Uh, with the shutout last night, then now their goals against uh, per game is two point three zero, which is fifth. That, that when you're number one in goals for and fifth in goals against. Uh, you're uh, you're you're really creating a a formula that makes it t- tough to beat. And the comment from Mark Stone last night, they he was asked about their top six, and he said top six. He goes, I think our tw- top twelve is playing pretty good. And you go through the ice time last night, and uh, you know the Nick Holden played sixteen plus minutes. He's the 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 number six defenseman in terms of time on ice last night and Nick Waugh averaged uh, you know played uh, I think 14 minutes and he is number 12 in terms of uh, de- of defenseman for minutes last night that's balance that's depth that is I'm playing everybody but we're not getting worn out we're not gonna be in a situation where guys get hurt as a result of fatigue that's what happens when you lead games, right? If you can get into a lead, you can re- you can play their game, and and that at the end of the day for me is is what Vegas is all about. If they play their game, they're going to be a really tough out. Like here's uh, another thing, you know, that that came to mind, guys. That I I, I kind of snuck up on me because we don't think about the Golden Knights defensemen as an offensive unit necessarily. Now Shea Theodore has emerged and has four goals in the postseason. But the Golden Knights have seven goals from defensemen here in the playoffs. That's more than any other team. 20% of their goals, seven out of 35, have come from defensemen. And by the way, none of the defensemen scored in game one against Vancouver. Point is that they are using the defense in a way that we had not seen. And, and of course, Theodore is a big part of that. But earlier, Shane, you talked about Nate Schmidt. But, you know, Alec Martinez hadn't scored a power play goal in two years. The second power play with Schmidt and Martinez back there, that second unit has more goals in the playoffs than the first unit does. And it just seems to me that there are some things there that we are not accustomed to looking at that are helping this team maybe a little bit under the radar, but are still significant elements. 
The Sheriff Lawless, Some Guy Named Dave podcast brought to you by Finley Automotive, the great people at Finley, Acura, Jaguar, Chevy, and Lincoln, the Golden Knights, leading the Canucks one game to none in round two. Guys, we'll take a peek at a couple of other series around the Stanley Cup playoffs. All the series are underway. In the West, I think it's, I think most people think, at least I think, it's, you know, Vegas and Colorado before this playoff started, the two top teams in the West. Now you look at one game for the Avalanche, and they lose Philip Grubauer, and they lose Eric Johnson. And this wagon of a team, now Shane has to has to overcome some adversity against uh, you know a Dallas team that that went out and, and took Game One of that series. I think they also lost Matt Calvert, a heart and soul guy on the fourth right. line. So, yeah, so, and you know, kind of a little bit stunning for everyone. And we we forget Dallas. You know, they they got by without their top line playing, and all of a sudden, Jamie Ben, Radulov, and Sagan show up. And, and these guys are elite players. If that line can play like that, it's it's going to be tough for the Colorado Avalanche. And I think the Avalanche, they, they play a style in which maybe suits those type of players a little bit better. Um, it, it's It'll be interesting to watch. I'm looking forward to game two because everybody just assumed with what Colorado did to Arizona, you know, it was going to happen to Dallas who, you know, struggled a little bit against Calgary. They couldn't defend. This was a good team that in the regular season with their goals against, they don't have Ben Bishop. A high-scoring series against Calgary, which we think would suit the Avalanche. Well, it ends up being Dallas who takes control of it and some major losses to, to the Colorado Avalanche. So that said, Nathan McKinnon, though, right now is still, I would say, been the best player in the world so far here early on, uh, just dominating out there. But is he going to be enough? It's, uh, it's a series we'll be watching closely, obviously, because there's potential... Things, if everything goes accordingly, that'll be one of the opponents uh, if Vegas can get the job done still early, so I don't want to talk about it too much. But uh, keeping my eyes on the series and the Dallas Stars, uh, they've got some weapons there, and they're they're starting to build confidence. You never know, Gary, getting back to the point we made earlier about what galvanizes a team. They just lost Grubauer. They just lost Johnson. They just lost Calvert in game one. And I know, you know, this, this, different circumstances than what we've talked about with, uh, with Vegas and with Boston as to what might get, you know, them even more juiced up. Maybe if you're in that avalanche locker room, they said, you know, like, we're still a good team. Even with these injuries, we still think we have a good chance to win. Now it's a matter of can they go out and play better than they did in the first game of that series. Yeah, well, I think that Dallas, it took them a while. I also think that Rick Bonus. Uh, showed a little empathy to his players at the end of their last series and in talking about how hard the bubble is. And uh, Rick is a really interesting person. He's been an assistant coach for a very long time, uh, has had coaching experience as well, knows the game very well, but he's at that place in his career where he's doing it his way. And if that means he's going to get clipped, Say la vie. He's got his bread. He's got his, uh, his, his summer home paid for. Um, he's had a wonderful career and he'll get another job. He's an automatic associate coach, uh, for a young guy. And I just think he's found a, a way to, to get these avalanche. They defend pretty well. Um, they're doing it with, uh, Hudoman instead of, instead of Bishop right now. And I, I think that they're, it's hard to say they're playing for uh, a head coach because I think players play for themselves, 
but he's got them believing in something and they are they're playing a, a good brand of hockey right now. Their ability, Dan, to respond to adversity, too, the Stars. You think about that series with Calgary, momentum swings both ways, but none more so than in Game 6. They're down 3 nothing before they have oh. a shot on net, and they score the next seven goals of the game. So the ability to to shrug off an early deficit, and a fairly significant deficit earlier in a game and, and win that series and then go on to win Game 1 against Colorado. We were surprised, remember, when the Golden Knights allowed Dallas to score three goals way back on August 3rd. And here they are, they're scoring five goals, seven goals, five goals. Is this the same team? I mean, what happened to the Dallas Stars? You figured, okay, if they're going to advance in the playoffs here, they're going to do it, you know, one nothing, 2-1, to one, low-scoring affairs. But it's just been totally wild. And you point out that game, Dave, obviously, the, the, from 3 nothing down to a 7-3 to three lead, and there had never in the playoffs been a deficit that large then overcome with a four-goal lead. So, I mean, who knows what to expect here. Uh, but, you know, can they keep it up? As Shane points out, you got some guys that are uh, that had not been clicking but now are. Then on the Colorado side, when you think about Nathan McKinnon and his, uh, you know, you just watch him play for a few shifts, like, oh, my goodness, how this guy can take over any game that he's in. And then he's got enough supporting, uh, you know, characters there that this can be uh, just a, a juggernaut of a team. We know that they've given the Golden Knights fit. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see this again go back and forth as a pretty long series. Peak at the two series in the East, guys, uh, Boston, Tampa, two terrific teams, obviously had great regular seasons, but it ends up being the uh, the two uh, four matchup, right? In the uh, well, basically, you know, you know what I'm saying. The Bruins finished fourth in the in the round robin, um, but Boston comes out. You know, we kind of talked about all the stuff surrounding Tuukka Rask leaving the bubble, Shane, and uh, hasn't affected them much. They they have not lost right since that. Harlock comes in and wins games three, four, and five against Carolina, then wins game one against Tampa Bay. Yeah, we talked a lot of this show about building. From, you know, adversity. And that's, uh, you know, the case of the, the Boston Bruins, who are the best team in the National Hockey League, stunk in the round robin, uh, got the fourth seed, but they have certainly found their game. And, you know, we're talking about those teams. There, there's a lot of experience. The core guys, even he, he, the Dallas Stars, the pickup of a guy like Pavelski and Perry, I think that some pretty big voices in that room uh, to have that, to bounce back. But the Bruins, you know, maybe I know them a little bit more, and obviously... Uh, but there, there's guys in there. There's not a lot of panic. There's a lot of, you know, build up as he went along. Or understand, believe in their talent and their ability and their structure and their game, all those things. And, and they are flying right now. And they're led by that top line that's just, you know, dangerous with a, a pretty good side. One of uh, David Krejci, who's uh, taken it to another level. He's been phenomenal uh, for the Bruins in, you know, a secondary role. He's been pieced into everything. A uh, big part of that, uh, I saw him move up to the right line with uh, to take Pasternak off and, and put with Marchand and Bergeron in a, in a you know defensive role. So Bruce Cassidy's moving some pieces, and the Bruins look really good. But uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning are still, uh, as Dan knows them probably better than anybody. They they're pretty offensive. They're a good team. I expect that series to go long. Yeah, and you know it's interesting because what we talked about earlier, Gary pointed out Nick Cousins' comment about. You know, we don't want to wait. We, we don't want to just dip our toe in the water. Tyler Johnson of the Lightning said exactly that after game one. In other words, 
we didn't do that. We, we kind of dipped our toe in the water. We kind of reacted rather than taking it to them from the outset. And, you know, I mean, the, the Bruins and the Lightning have faced off against each other quite a bit here in the last several years. And another playoff series just so enticing, whether it's in the regular season or the playoffs, you're talking about two of the better teams in the Eastern Conference in the last little while here. But let's not forget that the Lightning are still without Steven Stamkos. And can you imagine that this Lightning team would have, you know, you think about the Lightning teams from, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago. You know, could they do anything without Steven Stamkos? But the emergence of Nikita Kucherov or Braden Point, and then you got, obviously, Victor Hedman back there. Andre Vasilevsky is just kind of just now passing Ben Bishop for some of these playoff records as a Lightning franchise. So they can, they can do a lot of different things. They have evolved as a team. Um, and it's not just because they score a ton of goals, though they still can do that. Uh, they, they have a little bit more grit than they than they had. So uh, will they uh, bounce back? We'll, we'll see how it goes against the Bruins in the next game. But I also wonder, you talk about adversity, overcoming the first round against the Blue Jackets, the team which had ousted them in a sweep a year ago. And then, the you know, the, the endless five overtime game uh, that the Lightning eventually won and how much of a mental block that erased and then they go on to win that series. Uh, and if they get Stamkos back, I mean, watch out. But uh, but even then, I, I'm with Shane. This could be uh, a long series and, and a really entertaining series, too. Uh, Lawman, we'll kind of go to you. The last series still going on, obviously. We're down to the final eight. Islanders-Flyers. You know, the Flyers were, along with the Golden Knights, probably the two hottest teams in the league when the pause came. Uh, now they've advanced uh, to take on this Islanders team that – you know, coached by Barry Trotz, their ability just to, you know, in that lineup, it's not fancy, it's not flashy, it doesn't need to be. You know, they, they just continue to find ways to win, but a lot of it based on real strong team defense. You know, they play such a team game that you sometimes the individuals are, you know, they run a little bit. You don't talk about the Islanders and talk about well, John Tavares doesn't play there anymore, but you know, for a long time, it was Tavares and the Islanders. Well, there's no guy like that as good as Barzell is. You know, you don't think of them as his team, but they have some really good players and some really good units. And I love the defense pairing of uh, Pulak and Pelic. They have developed into uh, Pulak's got a, a an elite shot, but they can really defend. Uh, they do a lot of a lot of great things, and and Barry Trotz will put those guys out there against anybody in the NHL. Beauvillier is a better player than uh, than you think he is. Barzal is dynamic. Uh, I love Anders Lee. I think he's a great leader. There's lots to like about that Islanders team, and uh, um, the hate in that series is going to get amped up pretty quickly here. Uh, they're, you know, from the from Long Island to Philly, Dan can correct me, but it's, you know, uh, it's no more than two hours. And uh, by train, you can probably do it in an hour if you can, uh, if that route makes sense. Again, Dan will correct me. That's, uh, those are his <laughs> stomping grounds. But that's, um, uh, they're old rivals from, uh, uh, from, from the, the, the back in the day. And there's just uh, there's something about that matchup. It speaks of beards and long hair creeping out the back of a helmet and uh, two. I don't want to say loudmouth, but the fan bases in those cities are very well. They're they are very partisan. They're loudmouths. They're, they're loudmouths. Loud <laughs> Fair yeah, enough. Come on. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, uh, and and well, they're not involved in this, but. Um, 
but that that's what those franchises stand for. Two of the best teams in uh, you know in the seventies and the eighties, and uh, I, I think this is going to go long, and I think it's going to get ugly. Right, and when you talk about New York, New Jersey traffic, you know, it could very well be longer than two hours from say Uniondale down to to South Philly. But you're right. I mean, you think about you know the rivalries in New York, say Yankees, Red Sox. Um, but you know, think about that. There's different sports in different leagues in New York. New York has two football teams, two baseball teams, two basketball teams, and three hockey teams. So uh, Mets fans on Long Island hate the Phillies. That's a pretty obvious disdain. So a lot of those same people are Islanders fans, and I'm sure will uh, love nothing more than to beat up on the Flyers if they can. And everybody in Philadelphia dislikes everything in New York. <laughs> and if you hit that traffic at the wrong time, Dan, it could take you a week. To oh get from Dale to, 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 to Broad Street. Tell me about it. Least. Many, many days stuck in traffic on the New Jersey Turnpike back when I was with the Trenton Devils, uh, who, uh, by the way, had switched between a Flyers affiliation and a Devils affiliation. And you can imagine how well that went over the people in central New Jersey. Not very good. No. Not very good whatsoever. Yeah, don't sleep on the Islanders in the East. Yeah. No. Very no, no. And there's, by the way, don't forget Lou Lamarillo, right? Who there's the Devils GM and the Devils and the Flyers had all those huge battles, uh, you know, 15, 20, 25 years ago. And, and now there's Lou, and he's doing his thing there now on the island. So the, the Flyers fans certainly remember Lou. I, I love the Flyers fans. My first series I ever won in the NHL was with Ottawa. We were a seventh seed, and we knocked out Philly in five games. Uh, they were the number two seed. And I remember you know, the yeah. fans in warm-up, like guy, big bright orange hair, they'd be up at the glass yelling every <laughs> profanity. They'd like get through the crack. And I used to like to just lean up against it so I could get a full earful just to, I, I loved it. It's it's great. They just, everything they could to try and tear you down, but uh, there's nothing better than beating them. They were not, and then they, then they turned on their own team, when, uh, which was expected to win, lost in five games to the Senators. Shane ate Linderos for breakfast that series. Just chewed him up. No, I had some good battles with Primo, Brashear. Yeah, it, uh, it was fun. It was a great play. I love playing in Philly because the fans are like that. That's, good for uh, you. Shane, did you, uh, did you in, before you got to the NHL, did you play some games in the old Spectrum? I did, yep, in the American yeah. Hockey League. Yeah, great old building, right? I was going to say, I remember going there when the Flyers still played there, watching Devils-Flyers games as a kid, and right next to Veterans Stadium where the Phillies and Eagles used to play, those old buildings have since been knocked down. But the Spectrum, remember, stood for a while and had the AHL team, the Phantoms, there for a while. So it didn't get knocked down until, I want to say, like 2010. And total coincidence, the Trenton Devils are on a long bus ride overnight back from, I don't know, Duluth, Georgia, and we're coming into the Philadelphia area on the highway. And, you know, you drive right by those stadiums and the sun is just coming up and we're almost home. And, I'm, you know, you're kind of delirious, right? You've hardly slept on the bus and all that. And there was a gaping hole in the side of the spectrum. And I thought I was hallucinating. But, in fact, it was a wrecking ball knocking down the down. spectrum. And yeah. I, I smiled a little bit. Coldest walk ever from that hotel across to the, to oh, the, the Holiday Inn, the right? Yes, the Holiday yeah. Inn Stadium. Yeah. Well, uh, unbelievable as it may seem, guys. Uh, one of the last events of the Philadelphia Spectrum was a Bruce Springsteen concert in Got 2009, it. which I attended. Oh, you guys I enjoyed it very much. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, one of my favorite yeah. things about this. Sorry, Dan, uh, Dave, f finish your thought. I apologize. No, no. And then the only other thing I was going to add was you mentioned, Dan, that they were slowly taking a wrecking ball to the Spectrum. They had to do the same 
same thing to the old Boston Garden. Because the new garden was built within a couple of feet of the old one, they couldn't just implode it. So you would drive up the expressway up 93, and you would look over into the exposed Boston Garden. It was like you were looking into a ghost. It was yeah. it was the yellow railings, the yellow seats. It took them a while to knock it down. And they did the same thing with the old Giants Stadium and the new MetLife Football Stadium, which led to bring Bruce Springsteen's song, Wrecking Ball. You it's know not- that song, Shane. It's not. It's it's not a podcast. Shane's gonna stick a knife in his eye right away. It's not now. a podcast until we've had some Springsteen references, and I've interrupted Dave in the middle of the good story. Yeah, we've accomplished right. both now. It's time to put yeah. a bow on it, boys. Well, let's wrap it up. Shane's like, not a moment too soon. No, I saw I saw Pearl Jam in Philly. Who? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, that does it for another edition of the Sheriff Lawless Some Guy Named Dave podcast. The Golden Knights. In the midst of their second-round series with the Vancouver Canucks, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time.